Well, hello and welcome to the Catherine Plano podcast, where we share tips, tricks, tools, and strategies that you can implement in your life for massive improvements. Every week, we have change instigators, compelling creators, and interesting humans who are breaking the cycle of convention and redefining success one mission at a time. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of practical goodness. Ready to unlock the secrets to reignite passion and intimacy in your relationship? Well, join renowned relationship expert Laura Doyle as she takes you on a captivating journey towards a more fulfilling love life. In her enlightening conversation, Laura reveals the life-changing power of embracing frivolous fun and finding joy in the simplest of things. Why is happiness so crucial in maintaining a happy relationship? How can you take ownership of your pleasure to create a stronger bond with your partner? These are just a couple of the thought-provoking questions Laura addresses, providing practical insights that will transform the way you approach your relationship. Embark on a delightful journey of discovery as Laura explores the importance of embracing new experiences and modern solutions. Don't miss this opportunity to learn from an expert who knows the secrets to reignite passion and intimacy. Get ready to be inspired and empowered to create the love life you've always desired. Tune in now and discover the keys to a fulfilling and passionate relationship. Enjoy. So today I'm super excited about our guest and specifically on the topic that we are going to unpack today. We have the lovely Laura Doyle. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Catherine. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I can't wait. Very excited. So the way that we love to start the show is we always love to ask our guest, Laura, to share your story. So, Laura, tell us what's what's your story and what inspired you to do what you do today? Well, I was the perfect wife. And then I got married. So that was the end of that. And um, in the beginning, I was very excited to be married to my husband. Uh, I thought was smart and handsome and funny and musical. And but a few years in, I I saw there were some things that he could improve, and I was going to help him improve those things. I was going to show him how to be more romantic and also tidier, uh, and also how to eat a little healthier. And for some reason, he was avoiding me. I couldn't understand why that was happening. So I did what all the experts recommend. I told him I was very concerned about his lack of affection and uh, his lack of attention to me. And uh, I told him that he needed to spend more time with me and uh, make love to me more often. And um, as you can imagine, that didn't work at all. So we were having these uh, cold wars at our house, which is no talking, but it's very tense. And we were having those last for days. 
or in between that, we would have these big blowups, especially in the car, we'd have big blowups. And so I, I knew what to do because everyone knows if you can't have a conversation without having a big fight, that means you have to go to marriage counseling. So I dragged him to marriage counseling so that the counselor could finally fix him. And then I would be able to be happy. And uh, as you already know, that didn't work either. In fact, I was on the marriage counselor's gray couch when I realized that uh, it was hopeless. We were too far apart and he was never going to change. So I knew that I needed to either um, spend the rest of my life in a loveless marriage or else I was going to have to get divorced. So I decided to end my marriage. I thought that was the only logical solution at that point. There was just one problem, and that was that I was too embarrassed to get married. People had been to the wedding not that many years before, and I didn't really want that loss of status. So as a last-ditch effort, I thought, I'm going to interview women who have been married for what seemed like an eternity, which was 15 years, and who are happy in their marriages, and I'm going to ask them what their secrets are. And so I did that, and they said crazy things that didn't even make any sense to me. They were not what I'd seen growing up. My parents are divorced, so I was following a failed recipe. And uh, they weren't like any of the things I was reading in the books. And um, I didn't even think I could do them. I remember, you know, with one suggestion, I was like, mm, have you got anything else? Because like, I, you know, I can't do that. So but then I was desperate enough. I thought I'm just gonna I'm gonna experiment with all this crazy stuff. So I started experimenting. If it worked, I kept it. And if it didn't, I just threw it out. And not that long afterwards, I came through the door, I came home and my husband saw me and his face lit up. He was happy to see me again. And that had been gone. So I knew I was onto something and I was very excited because I thought, oh, now I know what to do to have a happy marriage. And I had wanted that so badly. And now we're not going to have those big fights in the car and uh, we'll just be able to have the nice life I imagined. And uh, not that long after that, we were in the car and we had one of those big fights, huge fight. I was saying horrible things that I knew I was going to regret later. And he was saying horrible, mean things right back to me. So I, I knew what to do, but I couldn't get myself to do it. And then the new stuff, it, it wasn't that hard. It was just... It was new. So I had this idea that if I could recruit my friends to do it with me, the ones that were complaining about their marriages, that might help me gain some new habits. So I started a little support group in my living room. There were five of us. And uh, so I was saying, you know, try saying this or try doing that. And we were seeing miracles. One woman came and said, well, my husband won the sales contest at work and he took me on the most romantic getaway of our lives. And another woman said, this is not going to sound like a miracle to you, but it is. She said, uh, we've been fighting for months about him painting the family room. He got up and he painted the family room and he did it with a smile. So this is, a, this is truly a miracle. So we knew something was happening. And one of the women said, Laura, could you write down what we're doing for my cousin uh, across the country? She's in Florida. We're in California. And uh, I said, sure, I'll do it. And that book became or that, that became my first book, which went directly to the New York Times bestseller list. It became the number one book on Amazon. It's published in 19 languages in 30 countries. Uh, it started a worldwide movement of women who practice the six intimacy skills. Uh, and, and that was over 20 years ago. And now uh, I've had the privilege of helping uh, hundreds of thousands of women 
fix their marriages, save their marriages, make them uh, last and thrive. Wow, that is amazing. I would love to, and of course, I'd love to understand what are those six, yeah, those six skills that you talk about. Yeah, well, I'd love to tell you because I'm on a mission to end world divorce now. I want every woman to get these skills in her hand because uh, I suffered a lot, just not... um, I mean, there was no relationships 101 at my schools and maybe there wasn't uh, yours either. I, I think most schools don't seem to have that. And uh, I was following that failed recipe from my parents. So there are things that uh, I think most women don't know. They truly are secrets still. And uh, so I want to give as much of the six intimacy skills to everyone listening today. And with that said, I, I know that sometimes when I just list them, it's like that expression, the word water doesn't quench your thirst. But I'll tell you what I want. Let's let's let's. I want to uh, talk about one of them, which is uh, there's a, a little cheat phrase that we use for um, not being too helpful. I find that uh, one of my problems and a, a lot of my students is that we are too helpful. Uh, so we're helping making his doctor's appointments. We're uh, trying to help him eat better. We're trying to help him make good decisions at work. And um, unbeknownst to us, uh, helpful in wife language comes out as critical in husband language, and this can hurt the intimacy. So I'll give you a, a little example. Um, one of my students, uh, Kathy Murray, was um, had just read my book and was really uh, struggling in her marriage. They'd been sleeping in separate beds for six months. They had a sexless marriage. And uh, so she decided she was going to experiment a little bit with not being too helpful. And uh, her husband, uh, right after she'd finished reading the book, he came up to her and said, I need you to tell me what you want me to do with our cell phone plan. We need a new cell phone plan. And so she used one of the cheat phrases in the book from the six intimacy skills. She said, oh, Doug, whatever you think. And he looked at her kind of funny, like, Wait, what? Because that's not, she was the CFO of a large private school and she was trying to teach him the things that she was doing at work, you know, trying to help him be better with money at home. And and she was also a little afraid that if she let him pick the plan, he was going to mess it up. They'd spend too much money or they'd have crummy service. So he, you know, he asked her again, no, you got to tell me what you want me to do because he didn't want to get in trouble later. But she just stuck with her phrase. She said, Doug, whatever you think. And she added, I trust you. So he went away and he decided what to do with the cell phone plan uh, all by himself. And he did fine, right? It, it worked. He was a competent guy, capable guy. Uh, and, but that night he came over to her and, and put his hand on her shoulder. And he said, you were so nice today. And tears just ran down her cheeks. They slept in the same bed that very night. Uh, she'd been going to a, a marriage counselor uh, once a week, by the way, to uh, complain about Doug for an hour a week, uh, which never works. Uh, no one ever got happier by complaining for an hour a week. But after this experience, she fired her marriage counselor and she came to train with me. And, and that was over 20 years ago. And she still gets tears in her eyes when she talks about how wonderful her marriage is now and how tragic it would have been to throw the the man of her dreams out just because she didn't have the right skills to bring out his best and also show up as her best. You know, just from practicing those skills, uh, divorce was off the table and they were sleeping in the same bed again. I know so many couples that don't sleep in the same room. It's not an it's not an uncommon thing. I used to think it was an uncommon thing, but then if you go back even 40, 50 years ago, it was very common then. 
but then it changed and now it's kind of heading that way. So what I'm hearing is a marriage counselor doesn't really resolve any marriage problems. That's unfortunately been my experience. And so many of the students that arrive on our campus have gone that same route. And I think if, you know, if I'm honest about my intentions, when I went to marriage counseling, it wasn't so that I could self-reflect and improve myself. No, I wanted her to fix him. So it was really quite hypocritical, my approach. And I, I don't think I'm the only one with that. But I also think there's another fundamental problem, which is that the, um, I think the typical model for therapy, and of course, there are many wonderful marriage counselors out there, so don't don't get me wrong, but uh, I think a common part of the model is to talk about what's wrong. These are the problems, you know, these are my husband's shortcomings. Uh, these are the conflicts we're having. And of course, what you focus on increases. So the more you focus on what's wrong, the more that, that grows. Uh, and it's really the practice of focusing on what's right, why you chose your husband, why you fell in love with him, the things that he is bringing to the relationship that lighten your load or delight you or make you laugh or, um, uh, yeah, just make your life easier and more wonderful that has been transformative for me and so many of the women who practice the six intimacy skills. It's so true. I even say that uh, when I facilitate classes is when you have a look at the problem, just using the language, you're moving away from the solution and you're, 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 you're basically going down a rabbit hole of the problem. And even just looking at what's our opportunity, right, that opens the mind to working with what's at hand rather than the other way around. So I love that. I agree with that. I totally agree with it because when you focus on the problem, you go deeper into the problem and then you get yourself all looped up in the problem and tangled and really hard to really see, uh, I guess, the beautiful things that are around you right? because you're blinded by the negativity. Catherine, that's so wisely said. That's right. What are the opportunities and what what's the beauty around you? Those are the, the key questions mm. uh, that really helped me get out of the ditch uh, in my marriage and have helped so many other students too. You talked about, and one thing that uh, I was having a bit of a smirk as you were talking about intimacy, right? So you were talking about sexless marriage being the other way around where the women want to want the intimacy, but they're not receiving the intimacy. I see it the other way around. I see a lot of women, especially when they start hitting in the middle ages and so forth, they actually uh, are the one that's not providing the intimacy. So what's your, I guess, what's your trick around that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I do, uh, I, this is the part where I want to share the best aphrodisiac on the planet for men. So I'm going to get to that in just a second. But so it's interesting because um, when I first started doing this work, when I began this journey of uh, trying to figure out um, a little bit like the serenity prayer, what what uh, what things did I have to accept, but what things do I need the courage to change, right? Not just to accept everything, but also to be brave myself and find courage to change things. Um, I met a comparative religion's student who said that uh, every object has yin and yang. Everything has uh, the masculine and the feminine. So like with my my coffee cup here, it's actually my teacup. 
the ceramic part here, this polka dot part, is the masculine, it's the yang, the structure of the cup. And the part that can hold the tea, that's the feminine, that's the yin. And without the yin, this masculine part would have no purpose. Imagine if I couldn't put any tea into my teacup, it wouldn't have any purpose. So us being uh, able to receive uh, is the essence of femininity. Receptivity is the essence of femininity. And our bodies are metaphors for this, right? You think about uh, the way we're built. We are built physically, sexually to receive. And so, and if we don't receive, then uh, the masculine, you know, it has no purpose. And we also, there's another metaphor for us that uh, on our bodies that I love, which is that we have the only organ specifically designed only for pleasure. That's its only purpose for us to feel pleasure. So when we are denying ourselves uh, or refusing an opportunity uh, for that pleasure, um, you know, we, we suffer. Uh, and, and even though it, it feels it's, it's our agency, it's our autonomy. Of course, it's always our decision to decide if we will or we won't. Um, there's still a loss there if, uh, you can't get to the part where you're enjoying, uh, the, the pleasure that you were meant to have. So, um, but what, one of the things that I used to do to try to, so I'm, I'm back to being on the other side of it, right. Wanting to have more physical intimacy with my husband than I was getting. And one of the things that I did that was uh, very ineffective, don't recommend this, was I would go and stand with my hands on my hips while he's watching TV. And I would say, you know, the average couple has sex two and a half times per week, and we haven't done it in two months. And I really think we should do it. And I thought he was going to jump off the couch and sweep me into the bedroom for passionate lovemaking. And that just, that didn't happen either. And so uh, I now realize that one of the things that ha had gone wrong in my marriage, why um, he wasn't attracted to me, but equally so um, I was not as attracted to him as I could have been, as I am now, uh, was because this aphrodisiac had gone missing. And I had no idea there was an aphrodisiac and that it was free and that it's super effective and it works fast. But that aphrodisiac is respect. It's respect. And I know for me, I grew up hearing that wives should be respectful. I think we're all, you know, most of us have learned that that's meant, you know, men need respect. And I thought that, well, that's great. I do respect him, except for the way he drives and the way he dresses and the way he eats so much junk food. Right. So I didn't really have a concept of respect, meaning that I trusted him to be competent and capable, kind of like with Kathy and Doug's story about the cell phone plan, right? She trusted him by saying whatever you think. Uh, and she trusted him to make the decision about the cell phone plan. And I know for me, um, when I expect the best out of my husband, uh, when I uh, am yeah, treating him as though the things he's he's doing are, of course, in our best interests and they're going to go well instead of saying, instead of being devil's advocate, right? And saying, have you really thought this through? Or do you think you should have said that? Uh, which I formerly thought was part of my wifely duty to just, you know, challenge him, make him look at a different perspective. Uh, and really, uh, unfortunately, I was being incredibly disrespectful and having him second guess himself which was affecting his confidence, which meant his confidence was lower, which was not very attractive. Uh, and so, and I also kind of came off as his, uh, instead of the wife and lover I set out to be, I was coming off as his smother mother. Uh, 
And men are just not sexually attracted to their mothers and mothers not sexually attracted to their sons. So I felt he felt like my son and I felt like his mother had a very chilling effect uh, on the intimacy. So it was interesting when I finally learned what respect looked like and started using a, a really powerful cheat phrase in that regard. Wow, the passion came roaring back and my marriage really skyrocketed. It has, has really uh, become, uh, yeah, <laughs> a reliable source of pleasure, which is, uh, you know, I think what we all really want it to be. And uh, I, I didn't realize that that respect piece was going to be so vital to that happening. So it's it's just what I'm hearing. It's just a matter of saying, I respect you. It's it's really interesting because, you know, and I said this just in an interview the other day, that when you first meet someone, it's like the sun shines out of their crown chakra because they can do no wrong, right? And then over time, and that's what I talk about being conscious in a relationship, you know, you're consciously aware of what you look like, how you speak, um, you know, what you eat, like you're, you're just consciously aware. And then over time, we get so comfortable with one another that we fall back into, kind of step back into our unconscious self. And so some of these things that were consciously that you're consciously aware of drop away. So for example, if once upon a time when you first met your partner, they dressed her amazing, they were all, and then all of a sudden they're wearing their tracksuit pants and their slippers. And, and so you start seeing them in a different way. And so most of the time people start going, well, there's something wrong with my relationship. And, and maybe they start looking at it as there is a problem rather than, this is where now in our comfort zone. Now how do we uh, bring our spark back or our, our flame back so that we want to be together? Because I know over time all you start focusing on is the smallest thing, the way they chew the food, the way they pick their nails, the way, you know, these kind of things. So what would you say? Uh, for those that are hooked in, and I think there's a lot of us out there hooked in to these little niggling things that don't really matter. Well, I think you make a great point that we uh, bring our best selves to the beginning of the relationship when we fall madly in love and uh, really enjoy each other's company. And, and then um, we, uh, yeah, I know for me, I became uh, critical, uh, condescending I, I could I could see these little faults like you're talking about and uh they did seem very glaring I didn't see how I would be able to um live with them they they seemed intolerable really that's why I was on the verge of divorce and um really it had so much to do with um how I was showing up and how he was responding to me so I mean in a way when you say oh we always we start out as our best self well who doesn't want to be the, their best self, right? I want to be my best self all the time, actually. Uh, I enjoy her more being around, you know, my best Laura than I do the uh, shrieking one who is, you know, shouting from the other room and losing her patience and uh, complaining about things. Uh, I'd much rather um, be my best self. So it's been interesting that through the journey of trying to fix my marriage, trying to save it, and not just make it so like, ah, we're still married. Great. You know, uh, but make it really the kind of relationship we all dream of having, um, the, you know, but it, making it all it's cracked up to be 
uh, that was the door called self-reflection that I would have never walked through if I didn't feel like I had no escape except for that embarrassing divorce uh, and being really stuck with this person who is actually just my mirror reflecting back what I'm bringing to the relationship, whether it's kindness, respect, uh, patience, self-control, all these uh, virtues that I, I would, you know, I'm, I'm pretty grateful that I've been able to cultivate through this big breakdown in my marriage. I probably never would have done it any other way, but it's been the best self-improvement program I've ever undertaken. And to your point about these niggling things that are, are bothering us, one of the things that was really life-changing for me was uh, learning this this cheat phrase about respect, right? So um, in the in a moment of clarity, when I realized how much, just how much disrespect I had brought to my husband uh, and how crushing that is for um, for any man, for my husband, certainly, uh, I, I wanted to be accountable for that. And so um, in this phrase, I'm going to share with you, sounded like the most anti-feminist, ridiculous, old-fashioned, uh, you know, sawdust in my mouth sort of thing to say when I first said it, but now it's my favorite thing to say. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about uh, when I, I used it actually not that long ago, which is uh, we were out to my husband, take me to a swanky restaurant on a Saturday night. So this joint is just hopping. The waiters are flying by and the bar is laughing and the music is playing and we are just having a really nice time. And my husband's talking about, uh, he was talking about work. And then I made a comment about work that I thought was fairly harmless, but really it had a subtext of, you know, you should really give preference to this client over that client. I was telling him what to do at work. And all of a sudden the music stops. My husband gets this look on his face. The waiter stopped the laughter from the bar. Everything stops. Our good time is over. And he has this, just this look on his face. And I thought, oh, what just happened? And then, then I, I wasn't ready to be accountable at all. <clears throat> so I just said, uh, oh, uh, was that disrespectful? What I just said? And my husband was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, oh. And then I pulled out my magical phrase. I said, I apologize for being disrespectful when I commented on what you should do at work. And he said, thank you. And then the look on his face, he was just relaxed and calm again. And the waiter started, the music started, the laughter from the bar came back. Our good time was back. Our night was not ruined in some kind of a cold war or a hostile blow up. Uh, and, you know, we went right back to uh, being able to hold hands and, and laugh together. I love that. So it's owning it when you're being disrespectful and apologizing when you're being disrespectful. Yeah. And using those magic words, they mean something uh, beyond just, oh, sorry, I said that. Or, oh, gosh, yeah. I'm sorry if that uh, offended you. Right. Those are mm -hmm. ways that I stopped. You know, I, that's where I started out, like trying to uh, because it's actually a little painful to be accountable. It just really, there's just always that little barrier for me that I have to hop over uh, to get to become uh, my best self. And then once I run through that waterfall of fear and get to the other side, I'm always happy I'm there. And I love the way that uh, you just, I, I always, uh, when I think about apology, because I'm one that says sorry a lot. And so I feel that sometimes when I say sorry, it has no meaning. So I have changed that to please forgive me for being so disrespectful, for example. And I yeah. feel that's, that holds uh, mm. has a lot more weight on it. 
Mm-hmm. I also love the fact you talked about mirror because it is, uh, Carl Jung says that we are constantly projecting our shit onto our partners constantly, yeah. right? And so there's only that, me. There's only me. That's it. Yes. <laughs> there's really no. And that yeah. takes a lot of accountability too to own it yeah. and go, hey, what am I projecting here? And your relationships are a mirror. They are constantly there teaching you to do the self-reflection work and go, what part of my wound, my uh, unresolved trauma, whatever is coming through this relationship? Absolutely. That's been so true for me. And it was what's interesting about that accountability, which is uh, difficult, can be painful, really, is that was also where I found the empowerment lived. Uh, you know, uh, empowerment, where's a disguise? It's accountability. And when I own by, and you're right, the word sorry, uh, I used to say it again and again, sorry, 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 in a fight. And I really just meant just get over it. I didn't mean I, I really am accountable here. So I do like, uh, you know, when you say, please forgive me, or I like to say, I apologize. It's a little weightier, right? Uh, when I'm really being accountable. Uh, and that has been absolute magic because of course, uh, everyone responds to me so much better, not just my husband, but I carry these intimacy skills with me in all my relationships with my, my parents and my siblings and my team and my friends. Uh, so I'm able to have close connection, uh, in all of those relationships that I, I know would have gone missing, uh, had I not been forced against my will, victimized in my marriage <laughs> to have to learn these intimacy skills, which I, I treasure so much now. And, and I think also too, it's easy. I hear so many people, like you were saying, you get into, you, you marry someone and then they change their ways. Like we're talking about moving from conscious to unconscious, and then they try to change them. And it's, to me, it is impossible to change another, but if you want to change your relationship you change yourself because your environment is a reflection of what's going on inside your environment your internal environment so when we talk about the mirror it's it's like we're constantly projecting that stuff onto our partners and in our environment so if we're not happy with our partner we're not happy with our environment we have to look from within and that in itself can be quite confronting so how do you go about what you know because you do this kind of work all the time yeah because yeah. it's easy to blame somebody else rather oh, yeah. than saying it's my my stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got a great story about this. And and I want to introduce another one of the six intimacy skills with this, which is the power of the spouse fulfilling prophecy. And so we all have this, right? We're all walking around saying things about our partners all the time. Uh, and we think it's the truth, but it's really just the thing that we're projecting from our projector, right? On our from ourselves. So what I had done uh, early on in my marriage was, I would say to my husband, uh, maybe you could see if, uh, why don't you see if you can get a raise? Why don't you see if you can get a promotion? Maybe you could get a better job. Maybe you could start to make more money. How about if you make more money? And what he heard, and rightly so, was you don't make enough money. And do you know what happened? I'm such a good manifester. I'll tell you, Catherine, he stopped making any money. That's just how powerful I am, right? And not just me. We're all like this. We're all such good manifestors. And I was seething with resentment because now I was the only breadwinner in our family. And I just could not understand why he wouldn't go and and make more money. And around this time, I heard a tape from Lee Miltier, who did, she used to do the, um, uh, it was a Nightingale, a Nightingale Conan. I don't know if you remember them. Anyway, old uh, self-help tapes from 
way back in the day. And she was talking about uh, the power of auto-suggestion, which I think we'd call affirmation now, right? And uh, she had this student who went to her course on affirmation and walked away realizing she'd been affirming something to her husband that wasn't serving her. She uh, had been saying, uh, you always lose your temper. So she left Lee's class and said, I'm going to experiment with saying just the opposite just to see like what what the heck what do i have to lose it's not a good experience for me to have him lose his temper i want to change this up so she went home and she waited for him to lose his temper and she didn't have to wait very long but as soon as he did she said you know that's not like you to lose your temper and um i'm laughing as i'm saying it because he looked at her funny and their 12 year old son said yes it is mom he always loses his temper uh, but she stuck with it. She thought, you know, I have nothing to lose. I'm going to keep affirming that it's not like him to do this. So she did that. And then uh, not too long after that, they were at a restaurant and the service was slow and he started to fume. He was like, you know what? We've been waiting so long. I have a good man to, I'm going to call the manager over here and just let him know how long we've been waiting. And then he stopped himself and he said to her, that's not like me to lose my temper, is it? And she just nearly fell out of the chair onto the floor because it worked, right? What she was expecting from her husband, she was getting. And we see this so often, right? So I heard that story and I thought, you know what? I'm doing the same thing. I'm going to change this up. I decided I was going to start um, a spouse fulfilling prophecy, I call it, for my husband. And I started saying, uh, you've always been a good provider. You know, you're, you've always been a good provider. You're a good provider. And just for fun, I started saying, and you're Mr. Moneybags. Because what do I have to lose, right? I'm just doing an experiment. So around that time, my husband started his own business. He'd never had his own business before, but he started a business uh, in a field that he was passionate about, which was video. And uh, he was very successful with it. He was more successful than he'd been uh, financially at his previous jobs. And uh, he'd get a check in the mail and I would say, oh, look, Mr. Moneybags, you could take me out to sushi tonight for dinner or whatever. So my experience of him completely changed when I changed my spouse fulfilling prophecy. I love that. And it's so true, right? When you think about it, once again, if you are projecting the whatever it is, because whatever label you have on your partner, uh, and it could be any label really, like you were saying, you know, why don't you go out there and get a job? Or why don't you go out there and make some sales? Or why don't you go out there and blah, 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 whatever that may be. They're, they're hearing from a from their perspective something completely different. You're They're hearing like you're saying that I'm not good enough in doing this or I'm not good at that rather than doing it the other way around. That is amazing. Yeah, we've seen it um, have some incredible results. I have a um, one student who uh, was married. Her husband was an alcoholic and she decided to use, she wasn't, she didn't want to get divorced. So she thought, well, I've got nothing to lose by experimenting with a spouse fulfilling prophecy. So she came up with uh, expressing gratitude for him. It's a gratitude skill, spouse fulfilling prophecy of uh, that. he. She was grateful that he's such a moderate drinker. She decided to affirm. And uh, she said, you know, she kind of gathered her courage to to say it. She gathered some evidence for it. And she said, yeah, I really appreciate that you're such a moderate drinker. And he looked at her like, oh, finally, you get me. Like he was relieved that she said this. And um, and the evidence that she had was, uh, she said, well, you know, 
like you, you and your friend Tom, when you guys get together, boy, I mean, he really drinks excessively, but you don't drink nearly as much as Tom. You're, you know, you're very moderate drinker. And she said, and you never drive drunk. You're, you know, because you're just a moderate drinker. And so she gathered these little pieces of evidence to support. And no one's all black or white, right? Everyone's going to have pieces in the middle that we can focus on. So uh, a little while later, uh, after she started doing this, they went on a cruise. And at the cruise uh, port of call, they said, um, here's your drink ticket. It's good for two drinks or for 20 bucks, you can upgrade to unlimited drinks for the day. And she thought, well, he's, you know, he's going to upgrade to unlimited drinks, of course, but he didn't. And she was shocked. She said, why aren't you upgrading? And he goes, well, I, I think two drinks seems like enough, don't you? Because he was just a moderate drinker. I love that. That is amazing. So the other thing is you talked about your six intimacy skills. I think we've covered about three. What would be some other ones that you would like to share with yeah. our family? Okay. Well, one that's really completely vital that I need to tell to every woman, every woman needs this, is uh, how to express your desires in a way that inspires. And this is actually another part of one of the skills we've already touched on, but I've got to give everyone this formula. <clears throat> so back in the bad old days, I used to, uh, well, I have this terribly embarrassing story about um, my husband took us to Hawaii uh, when we were a new couple, not even married yet. We we're uh, And I was very excited because I thought on the first day, uh, we're going to go to the beach. And so uh, instead of saying that I wanted to go to the beach, I said to him, hey, what would you like to do today? And he said, well, I thought we could go see a volcano. And I was like, oh. Yeah, a volcano. Okay. That's not what I wanted to do at all. But I didn't say anything. I thought, I don't want to have a conflict here. So I'm just going to suck it up and we'll go see a volcano. So we get in the car and you don't see a volcano for a long time. There was just uh, molten rocks on the side of the road on the way to seeing this volcano. And I just thought, this is not fun at all. This is not what I wanted to do. And he got the sense something was up. So he said, is everything okay? And I said, did you think this would be fun? Because I don't think it's fun at all. I think it's really stupid. And you didn't even ask me what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to the beach, but we're not in this stupid car. So he saw a volcano, all right. You know, not the kind that he was intending to see. And, you know, what's interesting is after that, even though I behaved so badly, he turned the car around. We never saw the volcano. We went to the beach because it turns out he just wants me to be happy. And now I've asked thousands of men, how important is it to you that your wife is happy or your girlfriend is happy? And do you know, they have all said the same thing. They say, oh, it's the most important thing. Or they say, it's everything. Or uh, in the UK, they say it's imperative. Possibly in Australia, they say it that way as well. I don't know. But anyway, um, so it was interesting to learn this because I was convinced of the opposite. I thought my husband didn't care about what I wanted, but it turns out he did not know what I wanted. So because I used to say things like, uh, John, this kitchen is a disaster. And I thought he was going to jump off the couch again and start cleaning the kitchen. And he didn't because he didn't know what I wanted. I think I have a theory that no one can even hear us when we're complaining. So you just heard John, blah, 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 or whatever uh, afterwards. So finally, one day I learned the formula for expressing my desires, which I'm going to share. And, it, and I said to him, you know, John, I would love a clean kitchen. And he said, okay, I'll clean it. And he did. And that was over 20 years ago. He's been cleaning it ever since. I never do the dishes around here. Why? It makes his wife happy. 
He loves knowing how to make me happy. He just wants to be my hero. So the formula for this is to say, uh, and this will work with anything. I would love, I would love, and write this down. If you can write this down, I would love, and then just the final outcome. I would love, and then the final outcome. So I would love a clean kitchen. I would love new boots. I would love a cup of coffee, right? I had a a student who uh, was just reading about this in the book and she looked up from her book as her husband was going by. She said, I would love a glass of wine. And he goes, oh, I don't think we have any. And she's like, oh, I know. I just, I just was wanting some. And he's like, oh, all right. And so she goes back to her book. Next thing she sees him coming down the stairs. He's got his car keys and the kids saying, can I go to the store with you? And she says, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to the store to get you some wine right? So they just want to be our hero. So uh, expressing your desires in a way that inspires is such a powerful way to do that. Now, I want to also give a little caveat that this is not the right cheat phrase. This is not the right skill to use if you're wanting his time, his affection, uh, you know, his his attention, physical intimacy, not for that. You don't need any of that when you get all the intimacy skills because you become an irresistible magnet. You feel desired just the way you did when you first fell in love. But uh, for everything else that you want, and if you're like me, if you're like most women, we want a lot of things. For everything else, there's expressing your desires in a way that inspires. I love that. And I'm sure that our listeners and our viewers are going to get a lot more out of the book uh, with all the other skills and the stories that you've interviewed uh lots of women. Is there anything else they're going to find in your book that we haven't Uh, unpacked? (laughs) So many things, right? And uh, yeah, I do. uh, I do tell the, I give the examples of the stories of women who have uh, applied these skills um, uh, throughout the book, which I think is really helpful for being able to apply them in your own situation. I think another piece that uh, I you know, it's so important to practicing the intimacy skills is that each woman is the expert on her own life. And so a lot of times I'll uh, propose a skill like, uh, like one of the things I suggest in the book that sounds crazy. And it sounded crazy to me too. It was one of the things that made my head explode when these women first started sharing their secrets with me is that um, letting your husband handle the finances for both of you uh, the chore of it, right? You know, paying the bills, uh, but you know, making sure there's enough in the right accounts or whatever. Uh, uh, you know, uh, what you know, all those little chorey things about uh, finances. What has been really life changing for me, right? And you know, I'm well educated, and I'm a feminist, and I'm smart, and I know how to do the finances, but. I love feeling so taken care of when my husband, uh, like we go to a restaurant, I don't even bring my purse. Uh, he's always going to pay the bill. Now we both put money into that account, right? For it, it to, for us to go out to dinner. But I love how it just replicates that feeling I had when we were dating. Like I'm just feeling taken care of. I'm feeling special. And then, then he runs out to get the car in the rain or whatever. Gives me his jacket because I'm cold. And I love to receive all that. Uh, because it's it's romantic, it's sweet, and my husband loves to be my hero. So, so that's an example of something that I say where a lot of women say, "Oh no, 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 I'm not going to be doing that." And and my response is always, "You get to decide what fits for you." I'm only sharing my experiences, and now I'm fortunate to be able to share the experiences of so many of my students that I, I interview one every week on my podcast to talk about her marriage transformation. So you get to take what you like and leave the rest, uh, because uh, only you really know what's best for you. I can't possibly know 
Uh, but I have this experience to share that might be valuable for you. Amazing. And you keep talking about the hero and the man wanting to make the wife happy. What about their happiness? Oh, yes. Well, it's been interesting for me to, so back to that yin and yang thing, right? Because, um, yeah, so one of my, my things my husband has since told me that it was not obvious to me at all in the battle days. I thought he didn't care about my happiness at all, right? It's like, he goes, yeah, every man wants to be a hero. And and especially to his wife, he's like, yeah, I couldn't be at Frozen, Chosen or whatever. Uh, I guess in the Korean War, I couldn't be at World War II or whatever. He's like, but I'm I'm here with you and I want to um, make you uh, make you warm when you're cold or bring you uh, baubles or flowers to make you smile, um, that this is actually how they feel up. When he kills a scary spider for me, he feels more loved. And I do too. I feel taken care of. So we have these complementary uh, designs, you know, that like, just like the image of the yin and yang, right? That uh, where when he's doing uh, what feels good and makes him feel loved, that also makes me feel loved. And it becomes a virtuous cycle where we just feel so connected uh, and so intimate uh, that, that yeah, learning to love and be loved in return uh, in my relationship has just, uh, you know, been one of the best things I've ever done. And I recommend it for everybody. Mm, I love that. And I find it sometimes, even for me, as you have been speaking uh, today, receiving is a big thing for me. I find it really hard to receive. Uh, my husband always says to me, you drive me crazy. Don't ever let me help you. And so this has been a really interesting conversation because I'm sure there's a lot of women out there. Uh, and even before we came on the show, we were talking about menopause, right? So when we were talking about sexless marriage, we have a lot of women who are going through menopause and who would rather uh, mow the lawns than be intimate with their partner because of what they're experiencing. So is there anything that you would tell those individuals that are currently going through menopause and are at that crossroad? It's like it's almost, uh, well, it is impacting their marriage, but they're at that crossroad, like what do I do? Do I divorce? And if not, my husband's going to leave me anyway because I'm not delivering. So what would you say to those individuals? Oh, well, first of all, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm menopausal, I'm 56. Uh, so, and this, uh, this was a big, uh, it is a big monkey wrench. First of all, I just want to say it's really painful actually. Um, and I was feeling so good about our sex life. We had it so dialed in. I'm so happy with it. <laughs> and then menopause, right. And it did create, uh, did create some distress, I guess I would say some unhappiness. Uh, in the bedroom. And uh, so one of the, the the very first intimacy skill that we invite women to do when they arrive on the campus is um, to uh, engage in frivolous fun, frivolous fun, not things that are going to um, improve your cardio or reduce greenhouse gas emissions or save money, but just things that make you smile, that make you, that bring you joy, that make you ridiculously happy. And the reason for that is because um, it turns out only happy people have happy relationships. And that eluded me. I thought it was my husband's job to make me happy. And so if this, if you take this, uh, this first intimacy skill into the bedroom, you know, I have the only organ uh, on the human body that's designed for my own pleasure. 
but, and I'm the owner and operator of it, right? So it's up to me to know how to, um, how to make that thing sing, <laughs> right? And, uh, and so I can say, I take that job very seriously, actually, because I do, I consider it part of my health, my well being, um, certainly part of my happiness, but, uh, and also part of my good marriage. Uh, so I, I think, but that's, I just don't want to dismiss for a second how painful it is when it feels like, uh, in some ways, like that's gone now, like, oh, that that's never going to be the way it was. Uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, it can't still be a source of joy, uh, from my experience. So uh, I know for me, there was a, just a process of doing some more exploring, being willing to broaden my horizons and incorporate, uh, we live in the age of modern everything, right? Potions and lotions and medicines and therapies. Um, and so I, that's been a, a kind of a delightful journey, to be on, if I'm honest, to, to figure out, well, what else is there that's going to make this? Uh, so instead of just, I mean, I think there's some legitimate grief for my lost youth, but I also, uh, yeah, I've been, it's been gratifying to get back to um, having some excellent passion in the bedroom again even though uh, many things have changed yeah and I think that's that's a, a really good point you speak about I think it's one of those things that we need to just work at it not just accept that that is and that's the end of our life we are doomed that it just means that we just need to work a little bit harder at it because um, it is absolutely it does impact your happiness and a whole raft of things now with all the research so yeah it is about yeah finding what works for you. I love that. Yeah. If you think about our husbands wanting to be our heroes too, never more so than in the bedroom. So yeah. You can tap yeah. into that as well. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. So for our family uh, that are listening and uh, watching as well, we will have all that, the everything in the show notes with the book as well and the podcast and everything that you do so as the way that we wrap up the show we always love to ask our guests to leave three shiny golden nuggets or they could be like three practical exercises so laura what are those three golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our family today sure well respect is the best aphrodisiac on the planet for men Number two is expressing your desires in a way that inspires is a powerful way to get all the things that you want in life, not just from your husband, but certainly that as well. And the third one is that only happy people have happy relationships. So don't forget to make yourself happy today. And I think I love that one. And I think too, we we so often look external of ourselves to find happiness when really it's as simple as what makes you happy and do those things. And it could be just one thing at a time every day, one little thing that you can do that brings you joy, whether it's cooking, whether it's going a walk in nature, whether it's cooking your favorite dish, whatever that may be, and build those layers of happiness until you feel uh, you know, that sense of bliss and joy, and then you'll be able to do all the other things. Focus external later. Yeah. Yeah. And when you fill yourself up with joy, that is how you become an irresistible magnet. You're never going to be hotter than when you are singing and dancing and smiling and laughing in the kitchen or wherever you are folding the laundry. They come right over like magnets, like magnets to steal. I love it. Absolutely love it. So where is the best place for our family to find you? Where do you hang out the most? 
Oh, well, um, I have something really cool for everyone right now that I want to tell them about, which is at lauradoyle.org. So lauradoyle.org, we have the Adored Wife Roadmap. So you can download that for free. And it talks about the three mistakes that so many women are making, trying to get his time, his attention, his affection, what to do instead. And it gives an overview of all the six intimacy skills, which, as you know, I'm very passionate about getting into every woman's hand uh, as part of my mission to end world divorce. So you can get all of that for free at lauradoyle.org. You can also tune into my podcast, the Empowered Wife podcast, uh, you know, on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and wherever you download your podcasts. Amazing. I will have uh, our team put all of that in the show notes. Laura, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I've had a, a couple of uh, light bulb moments myself. So, and I'm sure our uh, listeners of viewers will too, and they will reach out. And it's been such a delight to have you on the show and talk about such a sensitive topic. I think it's one of those topics we don't really talk enough about. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for your time and your energy. Thank you, Catherine. It's really been a delight. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please click on share show with your friends to help make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to get involved is to click on follow show or leave a review on iTunes so that we can give you a shout out on the show. If you have been a long time listener of the show, you know we are big on delivering content that is valuable for you. Content that will address your pain points. So if you have any questions or ideas for a podcast show, please reach out and we will create the content to meet your needs. Yes, you heard right. If you have topics, themes or special guests that you want to hear from, please send us a note to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will create a show especially for you. Wherever you are in the world, sending you love, blessings and peace. Namaste.